0: and welcome to the Moonshots podcast. It's episode 221. I'm your co-host Mike Parsons and as always I'm joined by Mark Pearson
1: Freeland. Good morning Mark. Good morning Mike, good morning listeners and good morning members. I can't wait to announce and get into our brand new episode in this brand new series on money. We are
0: so deep in the money. It's like raining dollars and dollar bills all around me here, Mark. We we had the chance to go last week very deep into the psychology, the motivations, the story behind the money. And today we're taking a big turn. We're, we're really going in a different direction. I'm super keen to jump
1: into today's show, Mark, aren't you? Yeah, I certainly am, and and to set the scene even more, I think we're going to be not only littering ourselves with a rain of of money and cash, but also of insights and lessons from some of these big thinkers, some of these big moonshots individuals. Last week, kicking off the series, we had Morgan Housel's "The Psychology of Money." There was a lot of practical tips, a lot of uh, essential breakdowns to help us stay honest with ourselves. But this week, Mike, we're going one level deeper, perhaps with a man who's even more enthusiastic than you and I on The Moonshot Show, and that's Mr. Dave Ramsey, who wrote a fantastic book called The Total Money Makeover. And this is a pretty substantial best-selling book, Mike. Not only does Dave Ramsey have a substantial substantial YouTube uh, studio and following where he answers live questions for customers and individuals around the world who are concerned about their finances. but you know just to say, this book is also a New York Times bestseller that's also helped out millions of people develop their money habits into things that they can adopt and maintain every day. So I think he's a pretty good voice in the space of money management when you say.
0: I would say so. I, I think he's like the Yoko Willink of finance because he's going to give us a good kick up the ass. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> Hold think Hold us true. to account, <laughs> right? He's going to make sure that we're doing the hard work because I think we've got so much to learn from him. He was bankrupt and now he is a seriously wealthy guy and he did that through hard work and discipline and he's kind of decoded that for us all to learn from and he is, I mean, he is... A guy from Tennessee who tells it as it is, Mark. Mm. So for you, me, and all of our members and listeners, we get the chance to get the truth and perhaps the hard facts about accountability and what it takes to build wealth. Now, what I love about his notion, very much like we see in other money and wealth gurus, is it's not about fast cars and big houses. It's about financial independence. It's about the freedom as an individual. It's about being able to be the best version of yourself. And he even talks about the purpose to acquire money is to be generous with it, with family and friends. So I love this take on money. I love all of the practical tips. And I kind of like the ass kicking we're about to get from (laughs) Dave Ramsey. So where should we kick off this adventure, Mark, as we go back to school to learn how
1: to manage our money? I think, look, we've got to listen to the professor, the class teacher and the leader, the headmaster himself. Let's kick off with Dave Ramsey setting the scene for us as we dive into this book of his and the key seven baby steps that he calls out within Total Monkey Makeover by focusing on the first two, which are save, and snowball.
2: 30 years ago, when I started teaching this stuff, I was first teaching people how to get out of debt, live on a budget, be generous, live on less than you make. So you have a plan, you avoid debt, you save money for emergencies and later for investing. And all of those principles work, but people kept saying, which one do I do first? And so I started laying out, well, you should do this first and that first. You should have an emergency fund before you start your 401k. And, uh, Then I figured out it's easier to have an emergency fund if you don't have any payments. And so you need to get out of debt first, because, of course, I learned my lesson the hard way going bankrupt and getting out of debt and uh, learning how important it was to be debt free as a process, as a part of building wealth. So all of that started to formulate after a few years of teaching in various settings, and what became Financial Peace University. It used to be called Life After Debt. And it started becoming what we now call the baby steps. And the interesting thing is, is that now the baby steps have gone into the Total Money Makeover book, which has sold almost 10 million copies, and they have become the proven plan, the shortest distance between where you are now and wealth. Where you are, if you'll live like no one else later, you can live and give like no one else. What is the shortest distance? And, and we need a path to run on because the way you eat an elephant, it's overwhelming. Do I do my 401k with the match or my kid's college? Or do I have an emergency fund or do I pay on this 18% credit card debt or
3: or, or, or,
2: or, and nothing gets done. You get paralysis of the analysis, you get frozen.
3: Absolutely. And this step, uh, these baby steps have worked for me. They've worked for millions. And it's really simple. If you do it, they work. And it all starts with baby step one, having this foundation, saving $1,000 for a starter emergency fund. This is just a small buffer between you and life before we start tackling the debt.
2: Exactly. And if you have a thousand dollars already, great. Just set that aside. That's your baby step one. Any money you have that's not retirement, anything you can sell that is not retirement, you're going to liquidate it. If it's not retirement, you got some stock over here that grandpa left you. You got a gold bar under your bed. I don't know what it is, but you got any money that's above a thousand dollars. Maybe you got ten thousand dollars in savings account. That's nine thousand dollars you've got that you don't need past Baby Step 1. We're going to put it all on Baby Step 2, and Baby Step 2 is the famous one. That's the debt snowball where you list your debts, smallest to largest. You pay minimum payments on everything but the little one, and you attack the little one with a vengeance. Side note, Baby Step 1 should not take you more than 30 days maximum. You need to work extra, sell some stuff, have a garage sale, put the kids on Craigslist, whatever you got to do here. Let's get it done. And, you know, we're going to get busted into this, get a thousand bucks quick. Baby step two, you should be debt free, but your house, now you may have to sell a stupid boat. Uh, You may have to take an extra job, but most people that have followed the total money makeover baby steps in Financial Peace University are debt free inside of two years.
3: Yeah. And that's with doing it with some gazelle intensity, like you talk about in Financial Peace University. And once you pay off all that debt... Now you've freed up all those payments, right? You have that income. Think back about in your what it'd be like to
2: have no payments but a house payment. Wow. Or breathing easy.
0: Breathing easy, Mark. Oh my gosh. Is this not what we all strive for? Living and giving, is this not really the life we should be living? The truth is, though, what Dave touched upon there is the paralysis. And I think we should spend some time on that one. This paralysis, Mark, I've seen it in myself, family, and friends. It's when you know you're spending more than you got. You know, when you're like, I can't really afford this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go ahead with the transaction. I mean, cre- how easy is credit to get at the moment, Mark? It's so easy, isn't it?
1: Uh, well, I, I, I'd say it must be easier than it's ever been. You know, not only are their challenger products and services and and players within the market who are offering you know very easy to access credit, but also the traditional institutes and and the trusted banks and so on that we have. it's become far, far easier, I think a- across my lifetime it's it's easier now than ever before. And I think the problem with that is, as you've just said, and as as I think we're going to mention, it becomes too tempting mm-hmm. to get into the, uh, the, 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 funnel, I suppose, of debt, the, the whirlwind of buying things that you don't necessarily need. And also it removes the ability to actually think about the purchases that you're making when you've got access to arguably anything. That's right. What consideration do you really put? Is that something that's really going to help me? Is it something yes. that my family needs yes. or is it just something disposable?
0: And the trouble we get into when there are products literally called buy now (laughs) and pay later, is that not code for you can't afford this, but you can have it now. And we're so naive to think that there's not a catch attached to that. And I think it is so easy to make a few of those steps and find yourself in that paralysis. Like I got a bunch of different debts. I got credit lines here, there, everywhere, Hmm. car, house, credit card, you name it. And I think this paralysis is where we need to begin our work. Like holding ourselves uh, to account, standing in front of the financial mirror and saying, am I really living within my means? And, you know, one of the things is, you know, he mentions this idea, we all want to strive for living and giving. And something that we, Mark, have talked about a lot is that the acquisition of wealth is a means to having freedom and choice in your life. Mm. So if you want choices, if you want to be free to pursue the things that are calling you, whether it's knitting Painting, running marathons or working in in a fintech startup, if you want to pursue those dreams, you need to have the capacity to make those choices. Because the Mm. worst thing is when you do not have the capacity to actually follow the path that you want to follow in life. And I think that paralysis of not taking the action, not doing the hard work now, you know, there's this great saying, um, you know, if you have easy choices, if you make the easy choices, you're going to have a hard life. Mm. If you're prepared to take the hard choices, you're actually going to have an easier life. Mm. And I think this is so true with money. And I'll tell you what, Mark, this paralysis is something that if we can help our members and our listeners really conquer to start this snowball effect, to start saving, to start reducing uh, some of those debts, They'll be on the way, not only to some financial independence, but they will then give themselves to live the life that they really dream of to actually pursue the very best version of themselves. I believe the hard work of living a fulfilling life starts with not hitting the snooze button, eating right and spending less than you earn. What do you think, Mark?
1: Yeah, I think you're totally right. And we're really going to get into some of those habits and some of those key steps to get ourselves into that way of thinking. But I think you're right, Mike. We've got to pay account to those individuals who, like us, have such a glowing uh, desire to keep on learning, to keep on holding ourselves accountable, to not find ourselves in that analysis paralysis, or maybe get ourselves into holes that we don't necessarily want to get out of. And that's through... You know, continual learning. So let's take a moment to really celebrate those individuals who are joining you and I in the Moonshots family every week. Who are learning out loud with us include Bob, John, Terry, Marjolin, Kien, Dietmar, Marjan, and Connor, Lisa, Sid, Mr. Bonjour, and Paul. Berg and Kalman David Joe, Crystal, Ivo, and Christian, Samuela, Barbara, Andre and Eric, Chris and Deborah, Lasse, Steve, Craig, Daniel, Andrew, Ravi, Evert, Karen, Rowl, and PJ, Nikawara, Ola, Ingram, and Dirk, Emily, Harry, Karthik and Venkata, Mark, Jet, Roger, Steph, Gabia, Anna, Raw, Nimelen, James, Eric, Diana, Wade, Anna, Amanda. This list, Mike, I mean, again, I'm going to have to start putting on a bit of a Tennessee accent soon, (laughs) channeling my inner Dave (laughs) Ramsey, because Uh, there's just so many members, listeners, active subscribers who are holding us accountable, Mike, as well to go out and make the best version of our product that we can. So thank you very much for all joining us and supporting the Moonshot Show.
0: And a big shout out for Christian who um, just had his moonshots anniversary mark. So he must be feeling rather special. I hope he's celebrating in style. As we get into all matters of money and to this straight shooting Tennessee, Dave Ramsey, who is an absolute heavyweight of the money management, wealth creation universe. He's got his fantastic baby steps which you've already heard about which we're going to cover a lot in this show but at this moment I believe Mark we need to just make sure we exercise the demons here that we truly get ready to take extreme ownership we need to make Yoko willing proud not only of what we do in the gym but also how we manage our money so let's listen to one of our favorite YouTube channels Swedish Investor he's going to do a breakdown of Dave Ramsey's thinking on no more denial
4: If you drop a frog in hot water, he will jump out. However, if you drop him in room temperature water, he will swim around and he will be cheerful and gradually you turn up the temperature. He will fail to notice the change and eventually he will be lured to his death. How do people lose their physical fitness and how do they lose their financial fitness? The answer is gradually. There are many similarities between a great physical health and a great financial one. There are no quick and easy solutions that will make you lose 40 pounds in a week or or become a millionaire overnight. No matter how much the late-night infomercials want you to believe that. You are where you are both financially and physically because of a series of decisions that you made in the past. The first part of anyone's money makeover is accepting that there is a problem. And this is where the similarities between your physical health and your financial one can differ. If you're out of physical shape, It's difficult to be in denial. Heavy breathing and massive sweating when taking the stairs? Well, out of shape. Had to buy a whole new wardrobe this year. Adding one more X before the L's to all your outfits? Out of shape. People will notice, and and you will. With money, it's more difficult. You can easily fool everyone else, and possibly even yourself, into thinking that you are in a good financial shape. Just drive around in a luxury car and live in an upper-class neighborhood. Almost anyone can manage to do this, if they use enough debt. But reality will catch up sooner or later, and reality will hurt. Would you be able to keep up your current lifestyle for at least 3 months if you were fired from your job tomorrow? Without using credit, of course. If not, you're financially out of shape. Do you have more debts than you have assets? Out of financial shape. It's time to face reality and to make some changes around here. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. A motto that Ramsey repeats throughout the book is this. If you live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. I wouldn't walk across hot coal because I think it's fun, but if I know that the rewards on the other side are great enough, I'd say bring out the coal, damn it. I I love this phrase
1: from from Ramsey, uh, Living Like No One Else. We're going to run into that a few times as well on, on the rest of the show, Mike. But actually, I just want to focus on something that Swedish investors bring bringing to life there that I think is really valuable for us. And this is the idea of losing control gradually. Mm. And, and another word for that is unconsciously. You know, yeah. it's very easy to slip into habits or behaviors or even mindsets that allow us to give ourselves permission to, let's say, fall out of shape or lose our temper, mm. or in this case, lose complete control over our finances. Because some of the time we'll be living lives which our finances sort of take care of themselves. You know, oh, I set up an account many years ago, money just goes in there and I pull it out when needed. As Swedish investors calling out in, towards the end of that clip, the idea of living without any income for three months, that's going to be a challenge that I think a lot of us have yeah. Not necessarily considered before because of, I suppose, taking it for granted, assuming that the status quo is as good as it can get. When actually, a big call out that Ramsey has throughout his entire book is the fact that if you take control, if you become like the David Goggins or the Yoko Willings and mm. just take extreme ownership, you can make it so much better. You can accept and be aware of the fact that it's, you know, perhaps below average, maybe as Swedish investor puts it, you're in poor financial health. And then you start to realize, okay, maybe I should start to change this day over and day out. But it's something that you kind of need to wake up to, don't you?
0: Yeah. So assume that you wake up. What would be the one thing you would do, Mark, if you wanted to avoid being in denial about your finances? Like what, what do you change? What's a habit you would immediately want to start if you wanted to avoid denial and take accountability for your finances?
1: I think the first step is to, uh, s- similarly to, I think some of the lessons that we've learned on other moonshotters actually, is to lay it out. Lay it out on paper, lay mm-hmm. it out on a spreadsheet, mm-hmm. understand. Uh, in fact, I did this exercise just a couple of days ago my wife and I making some financial decisions about uh, where to live and over the next six or so months with uh, a change of location due to jobs and so on. So what we realized was, okay, well, let's take a, let's take account of where we are right now, where we'll be in six months based on two different decisions. Mm. One of which is the path that we're already on. Where does that take us? Mm-hmm. Secondly, And this is a a classic bit, I suppose, of second order thinking, maybe. If we were to instead think of this route, this path, and these steps within that journey, how might our finances be affected? What else are we going to need to account for? I think that's a good demonstration. And maybe it's just the first step. It's pretty Mm -hmm. basic. Taking a look at your finances in, in extrinsic detail and forecasting where they might be in the future. Perhaps not to the extent of, okay, well, what happens if I die? Or what happens if this um, unplanned event happens, you know, the car gets set on fire. It's much more basic, I, I think, at this foundational level. But if you can extrapolate and take a look at where your finances are and how they might stack up over the course of, say, six months, both positive as well as negative, perhaps, I think that's a key step in coming to terms with that financial foundation you have and start to really question the idea of burying your head in the sand and whether you've got any denial taking place. Yeah. So
0: let's call that step like making a budget, making a plan. I think the perfect companion to that is check your bank balance every single day. For me, like it's, it's the same as if you want to lose weight, Weigh yourself every day. I mean, Bill Gates, we learned in in the show we did on Bill Gates, he is like, you get what you measure, right? I believe that the single best habit you can have once you've said, okay, what is our budget? How do we spend money? is to then track your spending like it's going out of fashion. Like you have to be all over that. So set yourself a reminder to check your bank balances, your credit card balances, to Give yourself that moment of, hang on, what's that transaction? I don't, what, what was that for? And then, you know, when you see your bank account drop and you're like, huh, why did that mm. drop so much? The thing is, the paralysis that we often have or the lack of accountabilities is a lot of people don't check their bank balance every day, right? Mm. A lot of people are like, towards the end of the month, I go, I just got to make sure that I have enough in there before my next paycheck, right? Yeah. Well, imagine- if you're tracking it every day, pretty soon you're going to start to see your spending habits. Pretty soon if you've done that budgeting step, you're going to go, "Uh, actually we need to, we're not going to uh, get takeout, we're going to to cook tonight because we have been spending a bit too much this week. Like it is so easy to make the adjustment in the day or the week rather than the nasty surprise. Classic thing, the tax man comes and says, you owe a lot more tax. Mm -hmm. Classic thing, you have a health event. And you need to pay all these extra unforeseen uh, health costs. And everyone's like, yep, don't have the money. Don't have the rainy day fund. Check the balance. Absolutely. Do not be in denial. Don't run away from the bank balance. Get after it. For me, it's all about attack, attack, attack. Know those dollars and cents. And pretty soon... What's on the other side of that, Mike, is you actually start making the goals that you said, like the really long-term goals you mentioned, you Mm. can start to say, well, what sort of amount of money do we want to save each year? And then if we were to save that each year for 10 years... How much money would we have? Would we put that in our 401k or our pension or our superannuation fund, depending where you are in the world? Do you invest it in the property or paying down the mortgage? Like whatever you choose to do. Because then on the other side of it is once you see your capacity to save and generate wealth, you can actually start to go, okay, well, what sort of life do I have as a vision? in the next 10, 20, or 30 years. And then you mm-hmm. can start making critical decisions on where you live, your job. You can start to live the life you've always dreamt about. But it only happens if you look at the bank balance every single day. That's my firm belief on how we can be the ultimate Dave Ramseys. Just <laughs> check that bank balance every single day.
1: I think the, the only build I can have on that, Mike, is similarly to where Productivity Game was making a reference to sports, and fitness, I think it's a lot easier to do prehab rather than rehab, i.e. Yeah. if yeah. you can be ahead of the curve, if you know where your finances are and you know the potential output or situation you'll be in if you do go out for yet another dinner this week, it's a lot harder to build back up a fortress balance sheet or, or a savings account yes. than it is to spend it. So I think the denial piece for us coming from Dave is really, let's not live in a bubble here. Let's not assume that we have untapped finances. Let's hold ourselves accountable and realize, do we really need to spend another $50, $100 on this? Let's leave it in. Because more often than not, when you do give yourself the ability to think and to question, let's say a purchase or a transaction or a saving or an investment, a lot of the time, if you reflect on it, you'll end up making. the the better decision than making it right in the heat of the moment. And I think going back to this idea of untapped credit, as well as the ability to um, just do whatever we want and then not really care or be too considerate over where our financial situation actually is. It's a lot harder to then come back to it and make it back up. Yeah, yeah.
0: So I think, you know, what's quite interesting here is we've framed like the... The opportunity to let compound interest do its magic. We've talked about don't defer responsibility for your finances, which are two really big ideas and practices, not only uh, from Dave Ramsey, but it's been very consistent on all the shows we've done on wealth. And it is crazy, Mark, to think the parallels between financial wellness and physical wellness, you know, eat well, eat less, get up early, exercise, it is the analogy is so crazy, mm-hmm. and just like it can be super hard to say, "Hey, I'm going to go for a run on a rainy day," it can be hard to stay motivated to save that money because you think to yourself, "Oh, I'm going without. Poor me, poor me." But don't worry, Dave Ramsey and his co-host Jess have some thoughts for us.
2: And you're walking around in a culture, strutting around like you got some money. You got no money. Shut up. You're broke. Quit acting like you're something. You're broke. And this putting on the crap has got to stop. And Jade, you've been hearing this thing in Baby Step 2 where people are struggling with motivation.
3: Yeah. You know, I get it all the time, Dave. They go in my, in my DMs, direct message, even in our Financial Peace University class. I get the same question, which is, Jade, you, you guys did this for seven and a half to eight years. How do you stay motivated? And, you know, at first, Dave, I would kind of give like like the nice answer, like, well, you got to you got to connect to your why and and all of this. And I really got to thinking about it. And I was talking to Sam about it. And the more people ask me, it kind of frustrates me because there's got to be no other option. Y-
2: y'all don't get Jade frustrated. OK, there's got y-
3: When Sam and I were getting out of debt, there was no option to not do it. it, it it's a must. I have to, my life will never be what I need it to be, what it should be, what God wants it to be if I don't do this. So, so this idea that, well, maybe I'll do it and maybe I won't, that cannot exist.
2: It's not an intellectual exercise.
3: It's not an exercise. You've got to.
2: It's an emotional, visceral decision.
3: Yes, I I must. It's got to, and and nobody can do that for you. You know, you listen to this show or you come to a live event and, and we'll light that match for you. But you've got to like stoke your own flame. My buddy uh, Lucas did a talk about this. He said um, you could be a spark or you can be a flame and you can tell the difference by when the wind blows. Mm. If you're a spark, the wind blows immediately. You go out just like that. But if you're a flame, when the wind blows, you get you get bigger, you get more aggressive, you get larger and and more fierce. And, And if you're talking to me and you're asking me, how can I stay more motivated? I'm sorry to tell you, you're a spark. You're just you're just a little fluttering spark, and you've got to do what it takes. She just
2: called you people names. She called you a little spark. You're just a little spark. You a little wimpy spark.
3: And the moment the wind blows, man, the minute you have to dip into your emergency fund, the minute something happens, you're ready to go, well, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if it's worth I it to me. I tried
2: that Ramsey stuff. It doesn't work.
3: What do you mean? What do you mean you don't know if it's worth it to you? Do you want to change your life or not?
1: Mike, I mean, we are getting into some pretty essential truths here. This is where I think Dave Ramsey's book, as well as his co-hosts, can really bring to light this uh, mindset and potentially this behavior or habit shift that we should all go through with regards to our finances. And that's, as, as Jess was calling out, there is no option. You must do it. There's nobody else you can lean back on or rely on. It is not something that necessarily will sort itself out. Instead, if you want let's say financial freedom, or maybe it's just financial control. You want to feel a little bit, a little bit more ownership of your finances. You want to know what's coming in and what's going out and when. You've just got to do it. You've got to get involved. You've got to choose to be essentially like a Goggins would, would call us out. Unstoppable. You don't, Uh, fall into the fight or flight behavior. You don't turn away from that adversity or that discomfort. Oh, I don't really know what my finances are doing. I'm going to have to take a look at them, Uh, but there might not be as much as I want there to be. That's a little bit uncomfortable. That's going to make me feel a little bit exposed. What I think Dave Ramsey does a great job of here is saying to us, well, yeah, but If you don't find out, nobody else will. And even if somebody else does, they're not going to necessarily prioritize to help you out of it. It's something that you've got to take control of yourself. This is a pretty key behavior shift, isn't it?
0: Look, I think um, it's so interesting that the motivation is not a choice. And I guess the question and the exercise to do is like, how do you... How do you kind of give yourself that pep talk when you are like, oof, I'm going without beans and rice every night, (laughs) no Uber Eats"? And here's where I go. Um, I think we often perceive the trade offs as being really, really huge. Like, "Oh, poor me, I must go without." But what I find interesting with a lot of uh, consumables and things that we spend our money on is actually you can live well and easily within your means. For example, where you choose to buy your clothes. I think this is a huge lever that we have. How we choose the frequency by which we go out and eat. So we set a cap uh, for my wife and I, and we say we will have either a dinner date or a breakfast date once a week. And together with our son, we'll order takeout once a week. That is the limit. We do not go past that. And if we do, we go without the following week. You know, those are simple things that that, that we do. You know, choose where you buy your clothes, choose how you spend your money on food. Food is a huge one. And if you get into things like meal planning, not only can you save a lot of money, actually it's so empowering when you can actually be in control of your food. And actually, instead of always having lunch out at work, if you're making your lunch and taking it to work, you have 100% 100 control of the ingredients, i.e. you can live actually healthier and for less. So that's a win-win. But all of those things become easier, I believe, when we think about how we want to live. And I do not want to be somebody who, like a lot of people who get to retirement age and face a financial crisis, that they have not accumulated enough wealth, they can only live If it's even going to be there, Mark, when you and I get to retirement, some sort of uh, pension fund. I mean, if you look at all the suggestions, it's going to be minimal to nothing. So if we are not taking care of ourselves, who else will? And I try, and it's sort of a bit dark and gloomy to get into these sorts of topics, but it is a kind of reality of life that you need to take care of yourself. Mm. And there is enormous benefit, pride and fulfillment that you can have to know that you built your wealth by yourself to look after you. And it gets even better when you might be able to help others that haven't been as fortunate as you. So whilst we're all young and and preppy and running around doing our thing, ask yourself about how you want your legacy. Ask yourself if you've got family and friends and particularly family that haven't managed their money well, look at the compromises that they have to make in their older age, Mm -hmm. their access to services. Maybe they need to move way out of the, uh, the city in order to go to a more affordable cost of living location. But then they're like, three, four, five, six hours away from family, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be in that situation. And that's where, I, that's where I source my discipline and resilience from. How do you, Mark, in the world of temptation or in a world of people paralyzed and not making the spreadsheets like you did just recently, how do you get your, keep yourself in the game? How do you not hit that snooze button on wealth management?
1: I think it comes down to prioritization. And I think that speaks a little bit to where you were just going Mike with regards to uh, controlling lunches, controlling your ability to go out and have another dinner out and so on. It just comes down to what I and more broadly I suppose my team so to speak, so my my family situation, my wife and I, what we want to try and prioritize. For example, If we have our eyes set on, uh, you know, let's say an annual big purchase, maybe that's uh, uh, something substantial like a white good, you know, a new fridge, a new washing machine. Maybe it's something even more expensive than that. Maybe it's a car. Maybe you're getting to that point where you can actually go out to the bank and and get a mortgage to go and buy a house. I think it comes down to what you and this speaks to your idea of legacy, Mike, as well, what you regard as a priority that you and your um, immediate others, I suppose your family, are going to want to lean in towards and and rely on. Because suddenly when you compare the short-term gain, oh, you know what, I really fancy that bite of lunch, maybe an extra bit of sushi today. Mm. I'll push the boat out. Mm. Sometimes spending 10 up to maybe even $20 for lunch every day Adds up. And once you Mm. essentially do that math, once you start to realize, okay, well, the budget of spending on sushi (laughs) every month is starting to become a little bit out of control compared to the additional priorities that I want to try and accomplish. Maybe it's flying back to see family. Maybe it's just buying something new for a wedding, a nice new suit, whatever it might be. It just comes down to, I think, prioritization. Mm. And that for me helps when I am looking at something in a shop or whether I'm online and uh, you know, maybe it's just a medium purchase. I'll, I'll question, well, does this really matter? Is this helping me get to the point that I'm looking for? Is this contributing towards a a wardrobe of clothes that will last? Is this contributing to a house full of um, furniture that will be here for the next 10 years? Or is it something a little bit more disposable? Is it something a little bit more uh, cheap, or maybe a little bit more uh, subject to going in and out of fashion. I think that's when you apply this level of, I don't know, extra consideration when you want to do the hard work, rather than that paralysis of not really knowing what decision to make. If you can compare what you're considering versus that long-term idea, that long-term goal, perhaps it's legacy. I think that really, really helps, doesn't it? It does. So I think, you know, we've got... Some
0: long-term techniques, thinking about the life you want to live in. Maybe you dream of living by the beach. Then that can be a really good motor. I'm going to forgo the sushi box, right? And I'm going to bring rice and beans to work because I want a beach house. Like, yeah. Another thing that I mentioned in the previous show is my wife and I have this really fun technique where anything I see on Amazon, I just put it in the cart and She's the only one that pulls the trigger. So she will review it and we will often discuss. So things will sit in there for days, sometimes weeks. Mm. And there's nothing better than deferring the decision to purchase a good. Nothing better. And it's amazing. Like even when I find myself trying to justify it, I'm like, actually, no, I don't need it. (laughs) but But, like it is just like creating those sorts of tools like check your bank balance every day don't buy too quickly defer discuss the purchases you know the um the there are these simple habits and you know the funny thing is mark i want to come back to the short-term benefit it feels there is nothing better when you're working out to say i'm going to run 5k today or 7K or 10K today, and you do it. Mm. There's nothing better than saying, I'm going to eat really healthy and clean and lean today, and you do it. And here's the thing at the end of the month, when you go, wow, we actually spent even less than we budgeted, the well being, the inner confidence, the pride, the, just the good vibes that this creates, knowing that you actually have the capacity of self-control in a world of temptation, Mark. <laughs> yeah. In a world of temptation. Uh, it's a pretty good vibe, isn't it?
1: It is, isn't it? I think the um, deferring purchase has become a lot more tricky nowadays, you know, similarly to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. This attraction to credit. Fundamentally, I suppose the attraction to debt has got us to a point where it's very easy to not defer. I.e., you want those new sneakers? Let's go out and buy them. And I think that's a real shift change that's that's happened, particularly um, recently. Maybe it was like a, a, a product of COVID. You know, we were all uh, we felt like we didn't have too much choice and too much freedom. Perhaps this is a bit of a hangover for that. But I think you're right. When it comes to really holding ourselves accountable, you can't fall into that pattern because when you do fall into that pattern, what you're doing is shortening your ability to make those finances last into the future, into those important life uh, deciding factors.
0: Yeah. And so like in ourselves, if we understand that we can be paralyzed when we just, or avoiding that that accountability, if that's the enemy on the ins- inside, well, I think um, Dave's got a clear point of view of what the enemy on the outside is. And it is a
2: nasty thing called debt. I just went from part-time to full-time at my job. My income's almost doubled. We only have around $24,000 in a line of credit and a leased car. Every question you get usually revolves around someone having multiples of our debt. So the question is, is the advice for someone drowning in debt the same as those who are just wading through it? Um, Yes. The advice is the same. All debt is standing between you and becoming wealthy. Your most powerful wealth-building tool is your income. And when you give some of it or a bunch of it to someone else, you don't have it anymore. That's a mathematical fact. When you pay car payments on a stupid fleeced car and you have a $24,000 line of credit buying crap you couldn't afford and you pay payments on that stuff, you don't have the money anymore. If you had that money, you could have used it for investing and for generosity. And so, yeah, you get very, very intense. The good news is, is that You can get out of debt quicker. You didn't mention your income in your email request for an answer, but you can get out of debt quicker probably because you don't have the multiples of debt that a lot of people do. Lady earlier this hour, $225,000 in debt, you probably have more like $50,000 in debt, depending on the price of this fleeced automobile. But the point is, get rid of the debt. Because without any payments, what you have is money. And then that gives you options. Now money is not the end of the world, but not having money sometimes is. Money's is what you feed your kids with. Money's what you pay the light bill with and keep the heat and the cool on. Money's what you keep a roof over your family with. Money is how you help other people, generally speaking. It's hard to feed hungry kids if you're poor. And so this is that. This is what money's for. It's just a tool. It's not got any existential, um, there's no existential beauty to it. It's only for what it's good for. It's a tool. It's like I have a car. What's the car for? Getting to work, taking my family on a vacation, going to see grandma's house. This is what your car's for. But your car has not got, you know, It doesn't change your life. It's what the car does that changes your life. Instead of walking or riding an ox cart, you have a car. That's all money is. It's just a tool. So the point is, yeah, Barb, let's get rid of the debt because then you have more money. And it's not, again, it's not a a spiritual problem to have more money. Spiritual problems when you worship it. So get after it, kiddo. Get your mess cleaned up. And listen, you're in a real dangerous position. Every question you get usually revolves around someone having multiples of debt. So the question is, is the advice for someone drowning in debt the same as it is for those waiting out? Honey, don't wait out. Your language reveals that you are not nearly concerned about this enough. I want you to get more angry about this.
1: They're taking your money. Mike. I think, again, Dave is hitting us with some hard truths here. And there's two particular pieces that, that I'd, I'd love to dive into a little bit. The first of which is, I suppose, setting the scene. Uh, and the, the function that I think Dave's calling out, that money actually has, rather than it being, let's say, a, um, a thing that we're, we're all destined to, to chase, It isn't something romantic. It isn't something that we should feel jealous of or have ego over or desire what we don't necessarily have. I think what Dave is doing a really nice job of, which is setting that foundational understanding of what finance and wealth and money actually is, it's just a tool. It isn't something that we should compare to other people. It isn't something that we need to feel uh, uh, necessarily desire to become tens of millions of, of millionaires and so on. Instead, it's just a method that we can utilize in our lives to get where we want to be. I think that's a really nice, very quick, very simple breakdown that Dave does for us there, which then builds onto to the second point that I think is really coming through in that clip. And that's the idea of um, money being available once you remove the reliance on third parties i.e. if my car is leased, um, if I've got a loan from, say, uh, Apple, I bought a brand new, maybe Apple Mac and, or MacBook, and I've got it on, on lease, uh, You know, I'm, I'm paying it off over time, over credit, mm-hmm. over my credit card. All of those things are relying on a third party, on somebody else who is outside of my immediate circle. When I'm doing that, what it means is I'm always going to have a little bit less control because a certain percentage of the monthly income I'm going to have will disappear. It won't necessarily disappear from sight. I'll If I have good control over my finances, a good budget, I check my bank balance every day, I'm going to know where it's going. But at the same time, it creates a bit of a gray area when you think about your your money and your net worth, because you have it in the back of your mind that there's still this outgoing coming out. And I think what Dave has really made the case for so far in the show and in the clips that we've heard is this idea of removing yourself from that problem. If you remove the debt as much as you can, if you can consolidate, if you can create that little bit of breathing space and certainty that's around your finances and your wealth, and in doing so, potentially remove some of those debts, you're going to Mm -hmm. be in a more positive and possibly more. Enthusiastic situation because I mean, Mike. I'm I'm not sure about you, but there's certainly been times in my life when money anxieties and decisions that really have made me uncomfortable and argue with those I'm closest to comes down to money. And ordinarily, it's not something that uh, is necessarily a product of your behaviour. It's just a product of maybe having less control. Is that something that you've you've run into before?
0: Oh, listen, money is. Like I like this, I I totally have been in that situation and it's invariably because we talked about the avoidance or the lack of ownership. So you're just deferring, you know, you've heard of the the saying kicking the can down -hmm. the hill, like you're kicking it away, but it's always going to come back and get (laughs) you. You know, it's always going to come and get you. And I think that's often the moment where we find ourselves arguing with those that are closest to us because Mm -hmm. we didn't take that ownership But the thing is that we learned from Dave there that you pointed out is it is just simply a tool. It's not the destination, it's the means. Freedom, choice are all Mm. on the other side of good money management, good wealth creation. That's the real point here. And it's not like a, a, a real mystery. It's just like being fit and healthy is not a real mystery. You need to eat well, sleep well, and work out and make sure that you don't eat too much. Do that and you are really on track. You know, whether you're into protein shakes or whatever, the reality is you need to burn more calories than you take in. Hmm. You need to have a balanced diet, good sleep, good range of exercise of cardio and strength. And actually... That's the simple part. The hard part is not hitting the snooze button in the morning. Same thing, same thing with finances. We all kind of know that things add up and you should have less, you should be spending less than you earn. But it's when you're in that moment, when you expose yourself to the easy sushi lunch, to the fancy (laughs) jacket, it's all those things, right? Those are the, that's actually the hard thing. And So it's not about the latest protein shake. And the same thing with millionaires is the secrets that they hold are not complex. They are not sophisticated vehicles. In fact, often those sophisticated financial instruments get you into a lot of trouble, right? Hello, credit, derivative Mm. swapping, leverage, all of that kind of stuff. Mm. No, the real thing is that there are not only mindsets, but behaviors that people who've accumulated wealth have. And so we get to listen now to
2: Dave explain to us what really are the secrets of the rich. Somehow among some newly wealthy people, there's a an ethos, this idea in the air that somehow building wealth must be complicated. You must have some uh, in The secrets of the rich. Well, let me tell you what the secrets of the rich are. They're not a secret. They do what you've been doing. They invest in things they understand. If you don't understand it, don't put money in it. Don't put money in something because it sounds cool and some goob that you think is cool is telling you to do it or has done it himself. This is how people lose their money with Bernie Madoff. They got recommended by a friend to get in something cool. There was an inside deal that no one knew about. It was a secret, it was sophisticated, and everybody doesn't know about it. And this is how the rich do it. It's all behind the curtain. It's just not. I was with a guy the other day who is worth about $200 million, and you know what he's invested his money in? Farm land. He's a rancher. It's what he knows. I said, you don't have any money in mutual funds? Nope. Don't like that stuff. Don't understand it. Not putting money in it. Well, that's not sophisticated, Dave, said a guy who has a tenth the net worth or a fourth the net worth or one one jillionth the net worth that that guy has. He's got $200 million. What you have is an opinion. Put money in stuff you understand and you're comfortable with. If that's all you ever do, you're going to be fine as far as the investing side. I have three investments, that's all I have. And I'm fairly knowledgeable about the investment world. I have three. My business, paid for real estate with no mortgages, and mutual funds. I don't play single stocks. I don't screw around with gold. I don't mess with Bitcoin. And I don't need your stock tip from your broke golfing buddy with an opinion. You know, you missed out on getting in on this deal, Ramsey. Didn't miss a thing. I'll set my net worth down beside yours while you mouth off. Didn't miss a thing. You didn't either don't try to get this is not time to get cool cool didn't get you here cool won't take you there and you know don't try to follow these cool goobs around because i gotta tell you man this this crap i see these things come to the seminar and learn how to do a fan you know a limited family partnership with a double backflip trust and uh, you know i just made that up but it sounds it's crap like that and people get all tangled up in stuff and they lose their butts don't do it don't do it. So it's real simple, Sean. Invest in things you understand. It's okay to use the KISS principle. I do. I use the keep it simple, stupid principle. I keep mine very simple, very clean. And if I, I don't have the money, I can't buy it. Wow, it's insightful. It's primitive. How do you get by on that with a with hundreds of millions of dollars of net worth? That's how I struggle through.
1: Keep it simple, stupid. Mike, again, I think this is a great way of rounding out uh, some of the work of Dave Ramsey in in his book, The Total Money Makeover, because he's calling it back and putting it in front of our eyes. Keep it simple. It can be super straightforward. It doesn't have to be an intimidating, complicated mechanic in your life whereby you have to uh, invest all your money repeatedly log on every day, move your money around. Instead, you just keep a tab on it. You look at it. You make sure to research any of the decisions that you're considering making when it comes to your finances. You're not one of those individuals. And I've been there before when you fall into the temptation to follow or invest in something that seems like a get-rich-quick scheme. you know It's similar to six-pack abs overnight and so on. We know that those all require more skin in the arena than perhaps they initially say. So again, Chris is just a, a very straightforward shooter here, isn't he? He's saying to us, take ownership, remind yourself of what you're doing. You're investing your hard-earned money, the thing that your kids, the thing that your family could benefit from. If you're going to throw it up into a uh, uh, an investment or a decision or a behavior that fundamentally you don't really get, put yourself in the shoes of those who are around you, you know, would your child, your son appreciate you being so frivolous? So, um, maybe short-sighted in doing it. You know, I think there's a, there's a lesson that we can build on from Dave's work here, which is, you know, not only holding yourself accountable and going down the very simple path, but attaching it into this idea of it, you have an impact, there will be an outcome to this, Mm. hold yourself accountable to it and then that'll help you make that decision. I think that's that's what's really speaking to me here, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And divert your energy towards building like really strong resilience on your financial habits rather than trying to decode the latest financial instrument um options mechanism, uh, crypto, coin, currency, funny business. You don't have to divert your energy to complex pioneering new things. There are age-old principles of compound interest Understand what you're investing in. And everything Dave Ramsey talked about in that last clip is a proxy of Warren Buffett's thinking and Charlie Munger's thinking that we've studied. They only invest in companies they understand, Mm. only in put your money in places where you understand what is happening with it. The classic thing is folks that get a first year on their fixed mortgage rate and then it goes variable after. And so the first year is really good. And then all of a sudden, when they come off the fixed rate, it goes variable and they're like, Oh my gosh we're paying a lot more and we don't have the means to to pay that's a classic example of where you got yourself into an instrument or a vehicle that you didn't understand so spend your effort in simple things understanding them mastering them you don't have to be the next wall street day trader no it's sound sound principles of keeping It's simple, which I think is kind of relieving when you think about all the effort you have to do and put in and invest to live within your means. It's sort of Mm. nice that it's not like trying to get some complex double master's degree in finance and economics. No, it's very sound principles, right?
1: Yeah, you're you're totally right there. Uh, I think what's a relief, I suppose you could say, is the fact that any of us can do this. Yeah. You know, the key lessons that Ramsey's really calling out as we reflect on this book, it's not necessarily a deep dive into, you know, key behaviors in the stock market. It's not about uh, focusing or investing in certain areas. Instead, what I think he's calling out to us here and inviting all of us to trial is just keeping it more straightforward. You know, the basics of, of money management, keep an eye on it. Don't overspend, you know. Keep a budget and and don't get yourself into debt. Isn't it interesting how that is? You know, he we need somebody like Dave Ramsey to almost remind us. Yeah, he's like our drill sergeant, isn't he? He's yes. like,
0: he's like we're like we're like these ducks who are slowly getting distracted, walking <laughs> off, and he's like
1: getting us back, back into line, right? Yeah, and that's how I feel digging into Dave Ramsey's work. It, he's very very focused and single minded. And it works. You know, if you can be that single minded, you can stay the course, you can be disciplined, you can get rid of your debt. He's inviting us to then say, from that point on, you can build wealth. You can yes. get closer to that ultimate goal of achieving or purchasing the things that you've always dreamed of. Yes.
0: Well, there's some big, um, there's some big takeouts, learnings, enhancement, tweaks I can make, but I first want to ask you, Matt, like, what changes now? You've, you've had a good dose from Tennessee. What changes for Mark Pearson Freeland?
1: It's it, This is a bit of a challenging one, Mike, because actually I really enjoyed the initial steps and lessons we were learning with regards to the compounding effect, uh, to borrow Darren Hardy's work, um, with the saving and snowballing. You know, those key baby steps mm. that we were introduced to at the start of the show, I think, spoke a lot to me. So really taking advantage of, of building a little bit of a, uh, let's call it a fortress balance sheet, paying off those debts in order to have that level foundation is is the key behavior that I'm going to continue striving for. What about you? Which one's standing out for you? Well, I mean... I just love it all. Like more than anything,
0: I've just got a massive turbo boost about financial accountability. And it goes perfectly with what we learned from Morgan Hausman, which was really like the thinking behind it. These are like these seven baby steps. These are things you can do right now. You can literally press pause on this podcast and get busy building some wealth, which is fantastic. And And yeah. I think what is so fantastic is at the end of all of this, he actually highlights that giving and generosity are at the top of the pyramid. That's the whole reason you want to do this, to take care of the people that mean the most to you. So Mm -hmm. that's What what a prospect. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts, your ideas here as we get to the bottom of managing our money. And I want to say a special thank you to our members and to our listeners too here on show 221 where we studied the mastery of Dave Ramsey and his book, The Total Money Makeover. And he gave us those little baby steps where we need to save and snowball. And in order to do that, you cannot deny your financial reality. You need to take extreme ownership. And as you go on the journey to building wealth, you need to be patient and resilient. Do this because you have no other choice. Because if you want to live your best life, you have to own it. Get rid of that debt and keep it simple. And you'll be on the way to giving yourself fulfillment, freedom, options and choices in life. And I reckon that is a guaranteed path to being the best version of of you. And that's what we're all about here on the Moonshots
4: podcast. That's a wrap.